church, and we're going to be uh, in 1 Corinthians, if you'll open your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as we continue in our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll be here for the next several months. Um, I'm going to do something just a little different with you this morning. If you mark your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to be coming back to verse 18, but I have you turn over to the left to Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 today. So open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, mark your place there, and then turn over to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. That's where we're going to start today. And as we, uh, as we are going to conclude chapter 1 of, uh, of 1 Corinthians this morning, um, Paul's going to be looking at the, the, the wisdom of God, and he's going to be contrasting that with the wisdom of man. The wisdom of God contrasted with the wisdom of man. And it doesn't quite seem fair, does it? I mean, anytime, you know, you're going to contrast the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man, uh, God's going to win that contest every single day, right? I mean, I'm reminded, actually, as I say that, of, of the bumper sticker. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, it says, I refuse to have a battle of wits with an unarmed person. Right? And I think if God were here, that's the bumper sticker that he'd have on his car driving around town. I refuse to have a battle of wits with you because you're unarmed. We're so foolish, it's not even close. I read a story this week, an online article. It was talking about foolish things that people do. And this one gal was telling the story how she had taken a job in a county office and she got a phone call from a local resident, and the resident was complaining about a deer crossing sign that was near her house. And she said, uh, I want the sign removed. And she said, well, why do you want the sign removed? And she said, well, because the deer keep crossing there and they keep getting hit by cars. So we need to find a new place for the deer to cross. You see, they put the deer crossing signs in natural places where, okay, whatever. All right. So People can be foolish, right? That's the point. And I had you turn to, uh, to Romans chapter 1 because an interesting thing happens here. What we're going to find as we go through 1 Corinthians, as we complete the, the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, is that Paul's addressing the foolishness of those in Corinth. And, and what we have here in, in Romans chapter 1, well, you'll recall Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth, and it was from Corinth that he wrote to those in Rome. This epistle of, of Romans was written when he was actually living in Corinth. And so, just like a painter paints that which is in front of him, Paul is going to address uh, God's wrath on the unrighteousness of men. And as he paints this picture of unrighteous men, well, you got to know almost certainly the model that he's using is those that live in Corinth. He's talking about the, 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 the people that live in Corinth as he, as he writes this epistle to the Romans. And so just before we go to, to address the foolishness of the Corinthians, I just thought we'd take a snapshot here from Paul's perspective of just exactly who they were. We pick it up in verse 18, Romans chapter 1. Paul says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, 
even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their hearts, and their foolish hearts were uh, futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Now, if you'll back up to verse 22 there, you'll see there he says, professing to be wise they became fools. If you're a note taker, you might want to circle that word fools. Uh, It's the Greek word moros, and uh, three guesses what English word we get from that. Morons, right? Have you ever felt like a moron? Have you ever done something and you went, I'm an idiot, I feel like a moron? True confession time. A couple of years ago, I'm uh, I'm preaching a message, and, uh, and... there's several people there that, that are deaf. And so they have a deaf interpreter. And, and so as I'm preaching, their interpreter is there interpreting for me. And, and after the message, one of these little gals gets up and she brings her interpreter with her. And she comes to talk to me. And, and she's looking for prayer uh, and encouragement. And, and she shares with me through her interpreter uh, that she is having trouble uh, concentrating on the scripture text. And, and so, you know, she just needs prayer that she could better understand what the scriptures are saying. And so, no joke, I look, I'm looking at her right in the eye and I said, you know, one of the things that I do that really helps me sometimes is I'll listen to Christian radio. I actually say this to this little deaf gal right there in front of me. And I say it, and now I realize the second that I've, I've said it, I'm like, oh my gosh. And the, their interpreter is so quick. I can't stop the guy. He's interpreted it before I can even, even do anything. And this gal, her, she's got this look of, in, just this incredulous look on her face and not even waiting for her, her interpreter. She actually speaks out to me. She says, I'm deaf. I can't listen to the radio. And I'm like, of course you can. And I turned like redder than that keyboard. I'm just so embarrassed. Just wanted to get away. It was one of those heavy, you ever want to get away moments. That was mine, you know. Hey, I listen to Christian radio. You should too. <laughs> Moron. You're like, yeah, now we're not going to listen to you. Um, now, while that example might rule me out as a Mensa candidate, um, <laughs> It, does, it really doesn't classify me as, as truly moronic um, because the Bible says that a true fool, a true moros, a true moron, uh, it's one who rejects God and his instructions, and listen, because he believes that he knows better than God. That's what makes a person a fool. And so when you put yourself in the place of God and you think that you know better than God, The Bible would say, you're a fool. You're a moron for doing that. The book of Proverbs says this. In Proverbs 12, 15, it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 15, 5 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. Proverbs 26, verse 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? 
There is more hope for a fool than for him. And this, as we turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, is Joe Corinthian, a man who's wise in his own eyes. This is the picture that John paints for us. And as we resume now in, in verse 18, um, we do so with Romans one twenty two that we just read ringing in our ears. Romans one twenty two says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And we now read verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now we're going to stop right there. There's two categories of people right out the gate that Paul addresses here. Verse 18, two categories of peoples. Uh, he, He addresses those who are perishing and he addresses us who are being saved. You see those two categories, those who are perishing, us who are being saved. Now, Both these verbs are written in the present active tense. What does that mean? It means that literally it's happening right now actively as we speak. So to say it in a different way, what what Paul's saying as he establishes these two categories, he's, he's establishing the fact, look, there are those who are actively in the process of perishing right now, and there are those who are actively in the process of being saved right now. That's the same is true in, in Corinth. The same was true in Rome. The same is true here in Temecula. There's two groups of people in this room. Those who are actively in the process of perishing and those who are actively in the process of being saved. Now let's break that down. You're either one or the other. What does it mean to be actively in the process of being saved? Turn to uh, John chapter 3. You say there's a process to be saved? I, I thought it was just a, you know, it's a quick one-time thing. There's a process. In John chapter 3, a guy named Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, uh, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, why is Jesus all of a sudden talking to him and responding to him in this way, saying, hey, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Here's why. If we back it up a little bit, what the man said to Jesus was, hey, Rabbi, we know that you are a, what's he, what's he say he is? You're a teacher, and a teacher where? Come from God. Now, is that right or is that wrong? It's wrong. Because he's not a teacher come from God. He is God, right? So right out the gate, this guy approaches Jesus with a human understanding, with a human wisdom to say, we know that you're a teacher come from God. And Jesus would say, you don't know anything because you're wrong. I'm not a teacher come from God. I am God. So this is why Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, my friend, you're blind spiritually. You think you see things clearly, you don't. Verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now is Nicodemus seeing with spiritual eyes or, or physical eyes here? Still seeing through physical eyes. He's still caught in the physical realm. We are physical people 
We're spiritual people. If you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, now you, you are governed by a different compass. But, but short of that, you're completely governed by all of your senses, by your physical senses. And this is where Nicodemus is at. He's like, well, how can a man be born again? Enter into his mom's womb? And Jesus answered, verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus building the case now, talking about a, a, a new birth, spiritual birth. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven." And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus giving this Jewish man a picture. He's saying, hey, listen, you know, you remember the story, Moses in the wilderness and the, the you know, the Israelites there, they're wandering in the desert and they're murmuring and grumbling and complaining against God. And so these fiery serpents come out and start biting them and, and they're dying from these snake bites. And, and God told Moses to take a bronze serpent and put it on a, a, a stick and lift that, that stick up and told everybody, look upon that, and then you will be delivered from those fiery serpents. And Jesus, given the interpretation, explaining, basically saying, look, you know, and here's what you need to understand. Bronze in the Bible, symbolic of, of judgment, the serpent, symbolic of sin, and the serpent being affixed to the pole and lifted up, being the symbol of Jesus, who himself would ultimately be nailed to a cross, would be lifted up, and all who look upon Jesus by faith, just as the Israelites would look upon this bronze serpent by faith, they looking forward to the promise of coming Messiah by that act of exercise of faith, Jesus saying, hey, I am who they were looking forward to. I will be lifted up on the cross. I will be the atoning sacrifice for sin on the cross. And all who look to me by faith will be saved. This is the picture that Jesus is painting for him there. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Notice what's not in there. What's not in there is the do good, try hard, white knuckling efforts of your religion. That's not in there. What, what he's talking about here is salvation by grace through faith. This is the picture that Jesus is painting here. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation, Jesus continues, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
They didn't want to change. They didn't want to surrender to the Lord by faith. They would rather hold to their darkened ways. Verse 20, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Verse 21, But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. That, that word does that he says there, but he who does the truth. It's the Greek word uh, poeo, and it literally means to abide. And what Jesus is saying here is that it's not, it's not just a, a, a confession, but it's a conversion. In other words, to come to Christ, he says it's he who comes and abides there. He who has a continuity to his faith. See, there is a process to our faith. And, and the process is, is one of, uh, that I'm, you know, it's not just that salvation is only a confession, it's that it's a conversion. And the conversion happens the moment I surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ, and it continues uh, until I'm reunited with him. And so it's a, it's a life lived in the exercise of faith. Not that you're perfect, not that you're never going to sin again, just that you are changed and you're growing and you're continuing. There's, there's fruit that's being born in your life. There is, a, there is a process to that. Scripture supports this. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.16. He said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's going to tell the Corinthians in verses 1 and 2, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if, that's a prepositional statement, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Again, there's got to be a continuity to our faith. Not that you're perfect, not that you're never going to sin again, but it's more than just a a proclamation at a a harvest crusade or at some sort of thing that you're going to go forward and I I said the prayer and now I got my fire insurance. No, there is a process to salvation and the process means that you repent, that you turn. Not only do you believe in Christ, but you turn from the way that you were living and you turn towards Christ. That is true repentance, and this is the process. Again, the idea isn't that you work for your salvation, but that you're working out your salvation. Again, it all starts by faith when we're born again. So back in 1 Corinthians, verse 18, the point that Paul is making is that seeing isn't believing, but rather believing is seeing. In other words, he would say that there's, there's none so blind as those who will not see. This is what he's getting to. He's like, those that are, there are those that are, are perishing, and there are us who are being saved. And he goes on to say that, that it's the power of God that, that does this. Um, and this is foolishness to those who are perishing. Um, Martin Luther said this uh, in regards to this whole idea of faith. Because uh, basically what we're talking about is there, there's two approaches to God. One approach to God says prove it. And the other approach to God says I'm going to believe by faith. And when we surrender and we believe by faith, the Bible teaches and Jesus taught that our eyes would be opened. Uh, and, and it's not a blind faith, but it is a coming by faith. And I don't care what your belief system is, you have to come to whatever your belief system. At, at, at some point, faith enters into the picture. 
It doesn't matter what it is. There's, there, there's faith that enters you. You're sitting in a, in a chair. You have a belief that you, can, that you can have faith sitting in that chair, that it's not going to collapse underneath you. There's faith involved in everything. You're going to get a car to go home today. You're going to have faith in whoever it is behind the wheel. Uh, you're going to have faith in the cars that are driving around you. Whatever your belief system is, whatever situation of life you're in, at some point, it's going to come down to an exercise of faith. Martin Luther said this about the exercise of faith. Exercise of faith. He said, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. Uh, again, St. Augustine talking about the same topic. He said, understanding is the reward of faith. Uh, therefore, seek not to understand that thou mayest believe, but believe that thou mayest understand. And see, this is where it all starts. I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm coming to you by faith. Now, the other category that Paul mentions is those who are actively in the process of perishing. Remember, there's only two. You're either actively in the process of being saved or you're actively in the process of perishing. Now, the truth is, is that the flesh, uh, in the flesh, all of us are in the process of perishing physically every day. Did you know that? In the process, your flesh is dying every day. James said this in James 4.14. He said, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. The human body, interesting uh, physiological fact here, it's composed roughly of 1.6 trillion cells and all of those cells are in constant decay. How's that for a little piece of warm encouragement from your pastor? All of your cells are in constant decay and 16% of of that 1.6 trillion cells 16% of those cells are skin cells. They're our flesh, okay? Um, And your flesh is also continually decaying. As a matter of fact, every hour, 40,000 skin cells of your skin cells, they die and fall off your body. Is that a disgusting thought to think about? I mean, put that in perspective. That means that by the end of this service... You will have, all of you, each individually, will have had 40,000 of your skin cells die and fall off your body. And everybody kind of scoots in and gets their arms a little closer together, right? That's a disgusting thought. It's almost a million cells a day per person that die and fall off your body. Now, let me ask you a question. Where do those cells go? (laughs) They turn to dust. About eight pounds of you every year turns to dust. Here's a really disgusting statistic. Scientists estimate that 90% of the, dusts, of the dust in our homes is dead skin cells. That is disgusting. Honey, you can dust from now on. That is sick, right? Now, here's the deal. That gives new meaning when I read Genesis 3.19 for dust you are and to dust you shall return. The psalmist said this, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Remember when, you know, just backing up to Genesis 3.19, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. Remember, that's part of the curse. That, that's what God the Father told Adam. He said, you know what? Ain't nothing coming easy for you. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles, the ground's going to produce for you. 
And ultimately, Jack, you're going to die. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. See, that's what happens when sin enters into the picture. When sin enters the picture, there is decay, there is destruction, there is death. Now, all of us, our physical bodies are decaying. There ain't nothing you can, do, you can do to stop it. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. The question is, what's going to happen when you face judgment? What will happen? The statistics are, are pretty conclusive. One out of every one person dies. A hundred out of every hundred people die, you know? And, 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 and I'm not the first to tell you that, you know? It's just, <laughs> that's the way it is. So the question is, what's going to happen spiritually? What is going to happen when, when we breathe our last and we go stand before the Lord? Well, Paul says, hey, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And they're perishing because their mindset is, this is all there is, Jack. I mean, you get one go around, that's it. And that whole faith thing, that's foolishness. But he says, to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. In, in other words, I'm in the process of being saved because I've placed my faith in something other than the flesh. And here's the point. The, the wise, air quotes, Corinthians who exchanged the truth for the lie, they thought the gospel was foolish when in reality, they were the fools. They were the morons because they thought they knew better than God and they were trusting in something that was ultimately going to let them down. And so Paul says in verse 19, he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Interesting, Paul quotes here from Isaiah 29, verse 14. Now I won't have you turn there, but I'll, I'll give you the, the, the highlight, the, the shortened version. Basically, the context of Isaiah 29, 14 is this, that Israel was in a tight spot. They were facing uh, attack from the Assyrians, and so they made an alliance with Egypt. They turned to Egypt for their protection, and it did not make God happy at all. And, and so, you know, the, their logical thought process in that uh, was, you know, hey, by the world standards, uh, you know, we can, we can measure this. We can quantify it. There, you know, we've got, Egypt's got a great army. They've got horses. They've got chariots. They've got men. They've got the resources that we need. And so we will re- re- we'll rely on Egypt. What is, what is Egypt symbolically in the Bible? It's a symbol of bondage. God's like, you, you're trusting in the flesh. It's bondage. And it's only going to lead to death. Now, again, the human eye, the flesh saw Egypt crying out as it, as it were, here's your answer. And how many times are we in that place ourselves? Because, you know, the Bible says that, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But so many times, because we're physical creatures in a physical body that will approach a situation and God would have us in that circumstance, in that situation, to, to trust in Him in the spiritual realm, and to, to, to cast all of our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for us. And so many times, because we live in the physical realm, we look for our solution in the physical realm, and we turn, and we find Egypt, and there it is, and we say, hey, Egypt's got men, they got money, they got horses, they got chariot. We'll make an alliance with them. And God says, that's bondage, man. You're getting, you're getting your, your compass directions based on the flesh, not on the spiritual realm, and it's a tragic mistake. And so God, through Isaiah the prophet, warned them. He said, look, you're using his human wisdom. You're not looking to the Lord. 
And he says, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise and the understanding of the prudent. And I'm going to show you that leaning upon Egypt is like leaning on a reed. That reed is going to break and it's going to puncture your hand. And you're going to see that you're you're relying on nothing. It can't support you. You can't trust in it. You can't rely upon it. This is the example that Paul uses here to talk to these foolish Corinthians. He's like, you are leaning on a reed. You got your own wisdom all, all working there and you think that you can trust in yourself rather than trusting in God. And he says, you know, all the Greek philosophy, all the wisdom of the Corinthians, all the world's wisdoms, all the world's wisdom, it's gonna fail you. And in fact, he could add, you know what guys, it already has. Really, it's already failed you because you're already divided. You're already choosing factions. You're already fighting one against the other instead of fighting against the real enemy, you're fighting one another in the, in the physical realm. And so often I'll experience that in counseling. I'll get people together in counseling. We start talking through situations. And I try and explain this whole spiritual realm concept, especially 90 plus percent, 95% of the counseling I do is marriage counseling. And there's incredible spiritual warfare that's taking place. And, and all we can concentrate is on this physical battle between me and you when we completely lose sight of the fact that there's a third party involved in that battle. And it's from the satanic realm just wreaking havoc. And so I'll... I'll, I'll Talk about 200% truth. And there's this whole 100% truth that we can see and discern with our natural senses, but there's a whole other realm of truth that you can only discern spiritually. And this is the, the get here, that these Corinthians, in their own wisdom, they're operating completely in the physical realm. They have no clue about the spiritual realm. And Paul would say to them, look guys, if you're not careful, you're gonna discover too late that you've been relying upon the flesh and ultimately all you're going to be left with is dust. It's just going to be a, just going to be a pile of dust. From dust you came, dust you're going to return. You guys need to wake up. Verse 20. He says, where is the wise? Where is the, where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Also quotes from Isaiah, by the way. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And indeed... He has, hasn't he? God has made the wisdom of the world just foolishness. Um, I have an ocean of examples of this, a lot of just hilarious examples, too many to tell you here, but I want to tell you a couple just because the world is so foolish. It's just, you, you got to laugh at some of the stuff that happens sometimes. Um, in Avon Park, Florida, at Avon Elementary School, they arrested a six-year-old And these cops wrestled her to the ground, they cuffed her, and they charged her with three counts, one felony count of battery, one misdemeanor count of resisting arrest, and one misdemeanor count of disruption of a public assembly. What was the public assembly she had disrupted? Her class, her first grade classroom, she was throwing a temper tantrum. And they called the cops, and the cops can't... I'm surprised they didn't taser her. That was probably on the next page of the, the thing. It's just ridiculous. I'm like, really? A six-year-old? You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ludicrous enough that they would arrest her, but then they go and, and press charges on a six-year-old. I mean, it's just moronic. It's, it's foolishness. There's several other examples of foolishness, the world's wisdom. Um, Disney had somebody recently fire, uh, file a lawsuit against him. The guy went on the Tower of Terror and he had a stroke and uh, he sued 
because the stroke was caused because he was terrified. Now, to me, that's just truth in advertising. I told you, you're going on the Tower of Terror. You were terrorized. It worked, you know? You're welcome. <laughs> you got what you paid for. You were terrorized. And, and so this guy sues. I mean, it's just the world's wisdom is crazy. Um, La Casa Mobile Home Park in Florida. Um, but what is it about, like, these tornado places with mobile home parks? Don't people know that those are tornado bait? But anyway, tornado, uh, the, La Casa Mobile Home Park, they banned the playing of all national anthems at any assembly in, in the, the trailer park because 10% of their population is from Canada, and they didn't want to offend anybody. So nobody could play a national, you can't play the Canadian national anthem, and you can't play the, the American national anthem forget the fact that you're living in America. No, we don't want to offend anybody. They want to be politically correct. Now, as a concession, they said, well, you can play God Bless America because, you know, the Americas relate to the whole continent. So Canada, America, it's all America. So, you know, come on, it's just foolishness. Um, <laughs> a couple more. Sydney, Australia. The city council in Sydney, Australia banned shopping carts from a local grocery store. Uh, they, the, they were building the grocery store. The developer submitted the plans and he didn't specify that he was going to have shopping carts in his grocery store. And so they said, oh, that wasn't specified on the plan. You can't have shopping carts. He's like, it's a shopping center. <laughs> it's foolishness by the world standards. Um, this one makes me mad and unfortunately we have several examples of this and you guys read them every day. Um, this is just one of many. San Fernando Valley Elementary School. They had a talent show. This is a lawsuit currently pending. Um, and a nine-year-old wanted to dance to the song, We Shine. And the principal uh, said what the, the song was offensive. And he asked the kid to pick another song that didn't say Jesus so many times. Now, ignoring the fact that there is at least a couple of other kids that are dancing to other songs that have sexually graphic lyrics in the songs. He had no problems with those. He takes offense because, well, he's saying the name of Jesus too many times. There's, there's just the, the foolishness of the world is overwhelming. And, and Paul says, God's made foolish the wisdom of this world. Verse 21, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and they, they, are, they constantly were. You guys remember Luke chapter 11, that the Jews came to Jesus and they said, you know, show us a sign. And he said, you know what, you're not, you're not getting a sign. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. For, for, for as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so too the Son of the Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days. Jesus said, you want a sign? The sign you're going to get is my death, my burial, and my resurrection. That's the only sign you're going to get. But the Jews wanted a sign. They want, why did they want a sign? Because they're living in the physical. And for them, it's all about what laws do we keep? What, what, how do we keep the standard? How do we earn and attain? And, and what is it that I can do to earn that right standing with God? Jesus, you're missing it all. The, 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 you, you want a sign? My death, burial, and resurrection, that's the sign that you're to look to. And he goes on, he says, and Greeks seek after wisdom. 
And of course, that's what the Greeks did. They sought after wisdom. You read Acts chapter 17, Paul in Mars Hill. And he says there that in Mars Hill, uh, as he went to go speak to them at the Areopagus, that they were, they were always wanting to gather together and they're always seeking after wisdom. They want to acquire wisdom. It's, it, it, it's there uh, in, uh, in Acts 17 verse 21 where it basically says that they spent their whole day either looking to acquire more wisdom or to teach somebody the wisdom that they possessed because that was their God. That's what they looked to. It was all about them and what they could comprehend and what they could figure out. And Paul says that the Jews are seeking after sign, the Greeks are seeking after wisdom, but we preach Christ, Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. That word is scandalon. It's a, it's the scandalon was a stick on a trap. You ever watch, uh, you know, one of those survival channels with Bear Gryllis or whatever, and they, they look into, to catch a squirrel or something, and they prop up a rock and they put a stick on it? Well, that stick is a scandalon. That's what that stick is. And the, the Jews, the, the crucifixion for them, cr- trusting in Christ, that was a scandalon. They just, they, they, it, was, it was their trap. Why? Well, again, because they trust in themselves. They trust in their flesh. They trust in all of the, the physical. They don't trust, they're not trusting by faith. And again, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So to those who are called, he says... I'm sorry, the, the Jews, verse 23, is stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it's foolishness. Again, they're trusting what they can see. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And what he's saying is basically this. He's saying, look, God chose the simplicity of preaching the gospel to save sinners. It's not about the complexity of the message. It's not about me, you know, getting you intellectually to the place to where, you know, and remember who's writing this, by the way. Paul was like one of the most educated men of the day when it came to the things of the law, when it came to the things of the Bible, when it came to the the issues of the old covenant. Paul was well-educated. And so this isn't a rally against education. It's not a rally against knowledge. What it's a rally against is trusting in your knowledge. It's about trusting in what, is, what, what you can comprehend, what you can see in the physical realm. Paul's saying, look up. Get your, get your head and look up. It's like when I talk to my kids and they're not looking at me, I grab their chin and I say, look at me. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, stop looking at the physical. Stop looking at all the stuff that you can piece together and start looking up. That's the whole idea here. In verse 26, well, in verse 25, he says, the foolishness of God is weaker than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. There's, there's two points of application to this idea before I move on. Um, the first thing is, is we, we got to hear the gospel. The, the point is that If you and I are going to know Christ, and maybe you're here today, and maybe you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Maybe you're you're in a place where, hey man, the jury's still out, and I don't know. And I would say to you this, that, that what the gospel teaches is that if you try to figure it out, you never will. You have to come to the place where, by faith, you simply surrender to God and invite Him in. And, and it's not a blind faith, but it is an exercise of faith. I'll explain it to you this way. 
years ago, I was talking with a gal. Her name was Amy, and I and was sharing the gospel with her. And, and that's the thing. This is what the text is saying, is that the power's in the gospel. That you don't have to worry about weaving it together in a, in a particular way. You just have to proclaim it. It's, it's, this, it's the preached word of God, the preached gospel that saves people. And the gospel is very clear. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Everyone has sinned. Sin is a word that means to miss the mark. The mark is perfection. It's the bullseye. And it implies that you can miss without even really wanting to. Right? I can try with everything in me to hit that bullseye. I'm trying to hit the bullseye. And maybe you hit the bullseye most of the time. But if you miss even once, you've missed the mark. And the Bible says all have missed the mark. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's the consequences of that? Well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so what's hanging over your life and my life, apart from the redemptive work of God in Christ, is a death sentence. But the gift of God is eternal life, the Bible says, through Christ Jesus. And the Bible goes on to say that if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God, sent by God, to be the propitiation for my sins. He, he was the one who paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. That he suffered, died, was buried, that he was in the grave for three days, that he rose again on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures, and his rising again conquered sin and death. And so if we believe that, and if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Bible says, we confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. That's the gospel, my friend. It is that straightforward. And so, you can clap for that. That's the gospel. If you're here today, going back to my experience with Amy, I proclaim the gospel to her. And she's in this place where she says, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. And I said to her, Amy, the only way that you can believe is through faith. If, if you're trying to, to piece it all together in your intellect, you're never going to get there. And, and so I said, let me ask you this question. If God was real, if you knew he was real, would you follow him? Yes. Do you really sincerely want to know if he's real or not? Yes, I do. Is your heart's intent to follow after God should you find him? Absolutely. And are you ready to surrender your life to God once, once you do discover him? Yes. I said, all right, well, then I would, I would challenge you to, to pray a prayer. And the prayer I would challenge you to pray is this. God, I want to follow you. I need to know you're real. And so by faith, I'm praying to you now. And I'm asking you to reveal yourself to me. Just show yourself to me, God, so that I might surrender to you. I said, are you willing to pray that prayer? She said, yeah, I'm willing to pray that prayer. I said, okay, let's pray. And so we prayed. And at the end, I, I began to say amen. I'd led her in that prayer, and she, and she stopped me real quick, and she said, no, we're not done praying because God spoke to me during that prayer, and I'm now going to give my life to Christ. 
And so we then said, all right, here we go. And I led her in the prayer of her surrendering her life to Christ. And I would say to you today, if you're in the shoes of Amy and you say, you know what, I'm willing to follow God. I just need to know he's real. I would challenge you by faith, pray that prayer. Just say, God, I need to know you're real and I, wanna, I, I don't want to doubt. Because the Bible says he who doubts is like a ship tossed to and fro on the seas. You shouldn't expect that you should receive anything from God. So you say, God, I don't want to doubt. I want to know. Reveal yourself to me. The Bible says if we ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. That's a prayer in accordance with his will. God, I want to know you. That's the first point of application, I would say, at this point in our message. Second point of application, I would say, is this. The Bible commands us as Christians to go into all the world, to make disciples of all the nations. That means that we as Christians have an obligation to share our faith, and this is when we take the chicken exit, right? This is the time when we go, you know what? (laughs) That's not me, man. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Hey, look, you don't have to have the gift of evangelism. All you have to do is let the lion out of the cage, baby. The lion does the work, right? So you don't have to worry. You say, well, you know, I'm not... You joked about being the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I, I don't, I'm barely saved, man. I don't know what to say. I'm not, I'm not really sure. And to you, I would say, and, and Paul continues here, verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. I just read to you guys my resume. That's it. You know, it's, it's not that, that we're all that. It's not that, that we, we have it all together. It's just simply that we say, you know what? God's chosen us as wretched as we are. Why has he done that? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, that's the issue. All the work of the flesh is decaying. Paul's point here is this, and you got to get this. In our coming to the Lord, in our living out our faith with the Lord, it all has to be a work of faith. It cannot be a work of the flesh. Anything that's a work of the flesh is going to die and turn to dust. Everything that is a work of the flesh. You guys remember Jack LaLanne? Big guy, right? Way ahead of his time. Rich, successful, buff. I mean, he was, he was the guy, right? Built an empire. Yeah, he died this year. It's all gone. See, that's why I don't go to the gym, by the way. It's just, you know, it's all going to go. It's all going to go. There's your argument. Now, the Bible says physical exercise profits a little. I, I wouldn't know it, but it does. But the point is, is that, that I'm making is that, you know, that's a great illustration of the flesh, really. I'm not talking about the man's spiritual state. I don't know what his spiritual state was. I'm just using it as, a, as an example. That, that there's things that we can do that if they're built in the flesh, you know what? They've got an expiration date. And every single day, man, 40,000 cells are sloughing off of that thing. 
Eight pounds of flesh dead by the end of the year, and pretty soon it's all going to be there. It's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment, the Bible says. And that's all of us. So you, your choice here, and this is the, the, where the rubber meets the road for us, is, is, is my work, is my life, is my trusting in God going to be by faith, or is it going to be by my own intellect, by my own efforts, by my own flesh? The choice is really yours. And this is what Paul is saying here. No flesh can glory in his presence. So whether it's your coming to God by faith for your salvation, whether it's, hey, God, here's what I'm going to do for you, it all has to be a work of God through the Spirit and not through the flesh. Amen? Verse 30, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. One quick point, and then we'll pray and we're done. Notice what he points out here. It's Christ who became for us wisdom. Wisdom, knowledge skillfully fully applied. It's not something we achieve through the work of our flesh. It's we have it in Christ. Uh, righteousness. This, is, this isn't just being found not guilty. This is God imputing righteousness to us through Christ. It is, it's, it's, it's all of God's goodness It's all of, hey, I've never sinned and I'm as pure and as holy as Christ. Why? Well, because God sees you through Christ. As you surrender to him, as you're hidden in Christ. It's like looking through colored glass. You look through a piece of green glass, everything's green. And God looks at you through Christ and you're clean, you're pure, you're white, you are righteous because you're hidden in Christ. Sanctification is found in Christ, and so is redemption. Sanctification is this work of, of, of growing up. And if you've, you, you, you're here, you've struggled in sin, and you're fighting and resisting your sin, and you're struggling, and you're, you're, you're frustrated. And Paul would say, hey, man, your sanctification, you're growing up, you're, you're becoming more and more like Christ, your improved behavior, it's the work of Christ in you. It's going to, to do that. It's not the white-knuckling Christian experience. It's, it's the work of Christ. Redemption. This is, this is a slavery term. It, just, it means to be purchased, and we are purchased by his blood. And I close with this illustration. The, the whole point Paul's getting at, you got the flesh, you got the spirit, which one are you going to trust in? This is the whole idea. There was a guy in, in, in uh, England, he had a, a factory, old factory, beaten, run down. He's trying to sell it, and he's losing his shorts on this thing, and he's had it on the market for years. And finally, a prospective buyer was coming to look at the building. And so he comes, and he looks at the building, and, and this, this seller man, he says, I will, I will replace these broken windows. I'll get a fresh coat of paint on this, on this place. I, it, the roof needs some work. I'll do that. I... I I'll do all that work myself. And the guy looked at him, he says, you know what? I ain't buying the building. I'm buying the plot. I'm buying the land. I'm gonna, I'm gonna scuttle this building. I'm gonna rip this building down. I'm gonna rebuild a new building. I don't care what you do to the building. The building's going away because I'm gonna make a new building. And when we come to Christ and we say, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a new roof on it. And the Lord would say to us, you know what? I'm not doing it. You come to me by faith. You give me your life. I'm going to build a new one. That's what I'm going to do. You can't put enough paint on. Have you looked at your building? Really? 
And so as, as we celebrate communion today, my challenge for you, for myself, is this, that this week we just take that walk of faith to say, Lord, show me. Show me where I'm trusting in the flesh. Show me where I'm walking according to the Spirit. Help me to die to the flesh. It's dying anyway. Help me to trust in you and walk with you by faith. Amen.